Well, hello again from Bonaire First Baptist. I'm here with Kenny Rogers and Patrick McWilliams. And today's sermon was titled Harvard versus Logos on Matthew 22, verses 15 through 46. And we'll touch on the title here in a second. But first, uh, just reminding us how we got here. It is, uh, as, as I mentioned, at least uh, during the first service, we're about halfway through the Passion Week. We're working towards the crucifixion. Chapter 21, verse 23, they... Uh, I'll just read a verse out of that. When he entered the temple area, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? And as uh, we remember, he answered with a question on the authority of John the Baptist. They were silent, and then we moved into a series of parables. We had the uh, parable of the two sons, the parable of the landowner, and then following that parable, we had verse 45, where It reads, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they understood that he was speaking about them. So the the tension has been mounting, as we've said the last couple weeks. And then the first half of of chapter 22 that you preached on last week was the the parable of the marriage feast. And so that kind of intros into where we start today with the series of essentially uh, the debate between the the religious leaders first towards Jesus and then Jesus returning with a couple questions. And so first, let's, uh, if you would, Kenny, explain the title. Uh, what, obviously, you mentioned in the second service, at least, that Harvard is not a biblical term, but yeah. it represents something. And then what is the, the logos? Well, I'll just use Harvard because it's a popular Ivy League university, you know, that uh, the creme de la creme sure. supposedly comes from. And if you look at the insiders in many corporations and uh, in Washington, D.C. itself, in the bureaucracy, many of them come from Harvard. It's kind of a, it gets to be a pedigree thing of Ivy League schools after a while. Mm-hmm. And the reason I mentioned that was because the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Herodians were, were like that. They, they went to the best schools, and they were the insiders, and they were in the halls of power. And so uh, they were the creme de la creme of their day. Mm. However, they come up against, and I didn't mention this in the first service, but then somebody mentioned to me, and I thought, well, that's true. I should explain this. They're coming up not against a a country bumpkin from Galilee, but they're coming up against the divine Logos. Mm. John says in uh, John chapter 1 that in the beginning was the Word, and the the Greek word there is Logos. Mm. And the Word was with God, the Word was God. And so when they come up against Jesus, they're coming up against the Logos, the wisdom, the the eternality of God himself. Mm. And uh, they're no match. Sure. And they keep, they don't recognize that, they don't realize it, because they're like their father, Satan. Mm-hmm. And uh, you love the symmetry of this, too. There are three parables and then three questions that, the, yeah. that they retort uh, in their plan, but it just doesn't overcome Jesus. Okay. So the establishment against the Word, and they try to use the Word against the Word. Great way of putting it. Absolutely. Well, as we go into it, they're, they're plotting against him. The Pharisees are plotting together how they might trap him, Jesus, that is, mm-hmm. in what he said. So in, in verse 16, it says that they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. And I think you touched on this at least in one of the sermons, but either you, why, why is it the Herodians and the disciples? What, what's the significance there? Well, the disciples are the followers of the Pharisees and future Pharisees, you might say. Some of them might have already been officially in. But the, and this was a popular way of debate. The, the Pharisees would send their messengers, would send their... Uh, lackeys, for lack of a better word, to do their bidding. 
Uh, of course, this changes by the third question. Sure. But uh, so the disciples is that. And then the Herodians, uh, this is a sect of Jewish leadership that is actually pro-Rome. So they're okay. very unusual. Uh, they're pro-Rome. They're pro the house of Herod. You know, the house of Herod was, uh, was not a uh, true Israelite. Uh, Herod was not a true Israelite. He was a, a Idumean. And so uh, the, the Herodians favor the, the, the house of Herod, the dynasty of Herod, especially Antipas I, and they're pro, pro-Roman. So when they ask about the tribute, you know, they're in favor of the tribute. Okay. Yeah. And typically most of the Israelites would not be. Absolutely not. And again, it shows you the, the, the conflicts between these sects of Jewish leaders, and yet they have a, one thing that unites them, and that is their hatred of Jesus. Okay. So, Patrick, how, this first question, I'll read it, and we'll discuss what, what they are trying to accomplish here. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? So how are they trying to, in their own words, uh, plot together against him? Well, uh, like you said, since the Herodians are present, mm-hmm. uh, if you're visualizing the scene, one of the Pharisees, the, I, I, the way I read this, is it sounds almost like the Pharisees' disciples were plants. Mm. The, the Herodians are going to be there. They're going to talk to them. Go there and ask them this question and see what happens. Because as soon as they ask that question, I can see all the Herodians' ears perk up. I'm like, okay, well, let's see how he handles this. Yeah. Is he going to... Because if he says yes, or if he says no, he's either going to be for them or against them. Yeah. Uh, and I think that was, I think that was the point. Was mm-hmm. he's going to either anger the Herodians who were there in numbers that night or that day? Yeah. Uh, or he's going to anger everyone else. Sure. <laughs> Kenny. And the Herodians are the minority yeah. for yeah. sure. So it's really preset to anger everyone else. Okay. You know, it does little good to, to appease the Herodians. Sure, but they are, like, he's, there is a, an element of being planted, whether it's the Pharisees or it's, the Herodians. It, it makes it clear yeah. from the beginning that it's, it seems to me, as I read the, the introduction here, that the Pharisees are the leaders in the yeah. plot, in mm-hmm. the plotting. But then if you read John's Gospel, you know that the priests, and you see this in the trial of Jesus as well, yeah. the priests are very much involved as well. Sure. Yeah, when I read this, I see, well, it seems as though they're trying to discredit him politically. And so they brought political witnesses to take the, you know, the uprising to the Roman authorities and to point at Jesus. Because I think traditionally, most of the religious leaders at that time would have said, no, we shouldn't pay the poll tax. Right. And they're they're expecting him to kind of follow in suit. Mm -hmm. So... The first question ends with verse uh, 21. They said to him, um, you know, then pay to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. What are the things that are Caesar's and what are the things that are God's? How do we differentiate that in our own minds as we, as we try to, you know, we're doing a whole segment Wednesday nights uh, on uh, Christ and culture. Yeah. So how do we differentiate the two? How do we know in our lives when, when we're, when we're giving something to, to God that should be God's, and, or if we're giving it to Caesar when it should be God's? 
Well, I like the way they, they set themselves up and the way they ask the question. Teacher, we know that you're not going to defer to anyone. We're not, you're, not gonna, you're, not, you know, you're not afraid of anyone. Yeah. So the answer is, is a straightforward answer, but it's, it's a pretty patent New Testament answer when it comes to church and government or Christianity and government, and that is that you, you, you yield to the government as far as you can without going against Christ or God. You always yield to the government. Mm-hmm. Uh, you pray for the authorities. You pay your taxes, you obey the laws. This is your responsibility. And, and God sovereignly placed Rome over Israel. Sure. And uh, our government is sovereignly placed over us. Mm-hmm. And so as far as we can, we pay our taxes. We, we contribute in the ways that we feel led to contribute, as, as voting as good citizens, perhaps some Christians running for office, and all these things. But then ultimately... Our ultimate allegiance is to God. We are his image bearers. Sure. The, the coin had the image of Tiberius, the Caesar at the time, but we bear the image of God. We belong to God, mm. and therefore our ultimate responsibility is before God. Sure. And that was a, that was a great picture that, that you brought up in your sermon was that we're, just as the coin is stamped with the image of Caesar, we are stamped with the image of God. And, and if you take it further, Caesar was considered deity and, and to be worshipped, right? So right. How, do we, uh, how do we parse that out, Patrick? Um, about like separating because they're, they would both be considered deities by sure, one group sure. or another. Sure, so if the U.S. government not only required taxes for us, but required us to worship the president, yeah. would that be a line crossed? Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty, 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 <laughs> pretty be, obvious, right? That, that would be that a line crossed, yeah. One other thing that I was thinking about um, with regard to this is another Jewish sect that's not mentioned here, but the Zealots. Yes. And the Zealots were, the Zealots mm-hmm. saw the Messiah as somebody who was going to come and overthrow the oppressive government, the Roman government. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they, if any, if any of them were present here, they're also going to be listening to this as well. Uh, and, you know, and, and, and Jesus's answer doesn't, it gets away from that. And he sets up further as as he will continue as as we go on to separate his kingdom from the kingdom of the earth or the the kingdoms of the earth. Um, and he's, he's basically saying like, like, look, who, who is on this coin? Is Mm -hmm. it me? No. So this this is not this is not really my concern. Sure. You know what I mean that this is this is an earthly thing. A lesser versus greater issue. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and really, I mean, I think it's a good reminder in general. This is so well known that it's easy to look over it, but a lot of times we do put our hope in the government in a way that's almost religious, and it's a good reminder that we should put our faith in. For many in God. people, government is religious. Sure. And uh, that's a shame. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's move on to the next question. Now the, uh, the Sadducees are introduced to the scene. So on this question, on the resurrection, what, what are they trying to accomplish there? How are they trying to trap him with this question? Well, it's interesting how they set it up because they, they, they ask the question, okay, in the resurrection, and they don't even believe in the resurrection. Sure. The Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection, so they do this thing called the reductio ad absurdum. Okay where they, they give this absurd test case mm-hmm. in order to 
make it obvious that sure. the whole idea. Kind of like I just did with the U.S. Yeah, government whole, and worship. Yeah, the whole, exactly. <laughs> when, when he says, well, have you crossed the line? Yeah. Well, yeah, you've crossed the line. Okay, so it's, it, it's absurd on the face of it. So they're trying to discredit resurrection. At the same time, they're trying to discredit Jesus. Okay. And uh, then they give the, this whole scenario based on what was called the Leveret Law. Mm. And it was that the, in order to preserve the heritage, if an older brother died, he was married and he didn't have any children, then the younger brother was to marry his wife so that he would preserve his inheritance. And uh, this, is, this is behind the book of Ruth. And it wasn't practiced widely, but it, but it was there. Sure. And they go to the absurd extreme, though, of seven husbands. Okay, now which wife is she? Sure. Whose wife is she, I should say? Whose yep. wife is she? And, and it's all designed to be absurd. And so that's the, the premise of the question is to trap Jesus into revealing or, or, or getting involved and being, okay. being baited mm. into this discussion of, of this law that nobody practiced or cared about and just to discredit the resurrection. Are they, do you think they're trying at all to make him counter the teachings of Moses? In that the, I know that they held the, the teachings of Moses in high regard and everything else was, as you said, commentary. Yes, I, I, think, I think they try to get him to go against that. And again, I think even, even in their alliance with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, everybody has his own ax to grind. And if, you know, if in the, in the argument the Pharisees are damaged by, uh, by the argument, then that's just collateral damage. Because the main thing is to take out Jesus. Sure. And so the question is, again, a test, and Jesus knew the malice of their hearts. Patrick? Yeah, they, they, um, they think that the law of Moses goes against the idea of the resurrection. Yep. And, okay. and they're, they're just trying to demonstrate that. Mm-hmm. They, they know that uh, Jesus has, before this time, um, respected the law of Moses and you know, not, is not denigrating it or doing away with the law of Moses, uh, but he's giving them the actual meaning of it, so they know that they res- that he respects that. So it's like it's a win-win. They 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 expect that he can either answer one of two ways, and either way they win. Sure. And so, how does the the quote from Exodus three six answer this question? Because God is the God of the living. He says to Moses in in chapter three when he appears to Moses at the burning bush, he says, "I'm the God of your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob." Yeah. And so he, Jesus' point is, he, he is speaking in present tense, not past tense, not yeah. I was the God, mm-hmm. I am the God. And so in the present tense, these men must still be living yeah. on some plane. So if they, if, if they had passed and they were dead, then he, he would have said, I was you, the God. Yeah, you, you think about this. In biblical interpretation, how important it is, Jesus himself, Jesus himself, mm-hmm parses this passage so that the tense of a verb, mm-hmm. the tense of a verb teaches whether there is life after death or not. Sure. That's how careful we should study Scripture. Yeah, well, I mean, think about this. All right, so if I sign a contract with somebody mm-hmm. and then that person dies, um, unless it's very strictly worded, that contract is dissolved because one of the parties is no longer there. So... In, in this context, for him to say, I am the God of Abraham, what mm-hmm. that means is he is in covenant with that yes, person. Exactly. Sure. It, it's, it's not 
it cannot be understood outside the context of mm. being in covenant. So if he's saying, I am presently the God of Abraham, it is exactly the same thing as if he's saying, I am currently in covenant with Abraham. Yeah, you can't really be good. in covenant with a dead yeah, person. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah, and, and oh, by the way, it's, it's out of Exodus, right? So it, yeah. it's the perfect answer for the Sadducees. Yeah, it, it is, because that's the part of the scripture that they deem. Yeah, they hold canonical. Yeah, it's, it's canonical, yeah. as inspired by God. Sure. And then the little dig, too, about the angels. Sure, the angels. Yeah. That was great, too. Yeah, and yeah. you mentioned that, I think, in both sermons. But, yeah, he said, uh, uh, well, first he says, you are mistaken, or I forget the King James. You do err. You, you yeah. do err, <laughs> yes. That, that, I like that because it was almost like an extra little jab sure, because yeah. they don't believe in angels either. Yeah. Right. Basically, he, he enters it with, I understand what you're saying, but you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> sure, okay, let's go on to the, uh, well, before we leave this section, from a practical perspective, Jesus does um, answer that uh, neither, in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So, what is he getting at there? Did, are we going to know our spouses in heaven? Depends on how you mean no, I think. I don't, well, I don't, not I don't in a know minute. how <laughs> that we're going to know. I, I think the point is here is that there's not going to be procreation in heaven. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that who gets to heaven sure. is in heaven, and that's the population yeah. of heaven. There's not going to sure. be procreation. And I Otherwise, think, I, think I have it was no a, idea. Yeah. One, of, one of your two sermons, you mentioned that that will still be relational. Yes. Um, but uh, the fact of the matter is it's secondary to our relation with God, first sure. of all. absolutely. And second of all, I think our relation and our unity will be more uniform throughout the body of Christ versus these, these images of, of marriage that are... Yeah, because we still don't really know what these glorified bodies are going to be like. Yeah, you know? I think the, the strong, strong implication of Scripture is that not that our knowledge is going to be decreased or that we'll suddenly be ignorant of things, but rather right. that we'll be so vastly increased that okay. we'll see things in a sure. completely new light. Yep. That our relationship with the people that we know here uh, will evolve, for lack of a better word, uh, so that we see what our relationship was while it was here and the purpose that it served mm. and, and that we are entering into a new a new relationship sure. with, a new with marriage, the body really. of Christ, not not only a new, you know, as our... With uh, God himself. With, with God yeah, himself, it's a new but plane. also with each other. I, you know, to, to just, and I know this is not on script and, and it's perhaps an ancillary point, but I believed for a long time that when we would get to heaven that we would not remember the people who mm. did not go to heaven. Sure, that's not uncommon. But, yeah, but I, I've come to believe that we will know, mm. but but because of the progression of our knowledge and the plane that we'll be on and we see things more like God sees things, then we can worship God for his righteousness and justice and mm -hmm. still enjoy heaven forever, even though we are aware that there are people who are not in heaven mm -hmm. who are in eternal uh, punishment. Sure. Yeah, we won't be blissfully ignorant, but no. our understanding will be in increased such that we'll be able to see that in its proper mm -hmm. context. In its proper, yes, yeah. absolutely. I just, I just always, I plan on requesting the mansion next to Mackenzie's. Okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, now let's uh, let's move to the last uh, of their questions. The the question on the great commandment. How how are they trying to trap Jesus with this question? And um, yeah, this just reads, "Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law?" And and now, as you mentioned earlier in this session. 
they've, they've taken it from the disciples of the Pharisees to the lawyer. Yeah, so to they've, the lawyer. they've uh, upped the ante a little bit. They're going through the ranks. This is kind of the title, title bout. Yeah, everything's political for us. Everything was religious for them and even the context of where for us religion comes under politics. For them, politics came under religion. Uh, and so they asked the question, but I, I think this is a commonly asked question. Okay. And the guy who asked it, asks it is in Mark's gospel, in Mark chapter 12. He, Jesus calls him an intelligent man. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's, he's not, he might be the exception here. He's, he's certainly under the Pharisees um, in their plan. He's a plant. But the question, I think, is to draw out Jesus' knowledge of the scripture and to see what Jesus is going to say, because I think at this point they're desperate. I mean, the, the Sadducees have failed, the Herodians have failed, so now they send in the expert, okay, what's the best question you could ask Jesus? Well, the best question I could ask him would be to, to solve the age-old problem, what's the greatest commandment? Mm. And he has been preaching a lot on the law, Jesus he, has, up he has until yeah. this point. Yeah. Patrick? So one, one resource that I always look at whenever I'm studying a passage of Scripture is um, John Gill's exposition of the whole Bible. Um, and one thing that Gill is really good at is he has such a vast knowledge and understanding education of Jewish tradition and the Jewish context yeah. of everything. It's like sure. every verse he has something to say about how the Jews of the time would interpret that, and he references all these other uh, writings and stuff of the time, and... Um, that really, reading that commentary really shed some light on this because he was pointing out how there was disagreement even then. Uh, you know, there was, it was an understanding that some commandments were weightier than others. Okay. That's even implied in Scripture sure. in places. Um, but some writers of the time said that the greatest commandment was the Sabbath. Okay. That it was like, that was the key. If you, if you kept the Sabbath, then everything else kind of just fell in line. Mm. Other ones thought it was... Um, and the Sabbath is called the seal of the covenant in Exodus. Right, yeah. right exactly. Other ones um, would, would tie it back farther and they would say it was circumcision. And like mm. that was it. If, if, as long as you were circumcised, like that was the main thing. If you weren't circumcised, then you were out of the covenant. Therefore, that must be the greatest commandment. So there's just two examples. And he, he provided actually several other ones. So again, just like these other questions, I think they sent... They sent one guy in because it would be all the more humiliating if one person brought him down with a single question. Mm -hmm. Sure. But also, they're expecting that no matter what he says, he's going to tick off like three quarters of the audience. Okay. Because everyone disagrees on what this is. Sure. That's exactly right. And that's the and then so this is again this is the most popular question of the time. Yeah, along with Gill, Gill's a little harder to read, but Eldersham has written some popular. I say popular, you know, you know what I mean, uh, yeah. good-level books on the temple and Judaism at the time, and then F.F. F. Bruce mm -hmm. has an excellent uh, treatment of uh, the early church as well in the context of Jewish religion. Mm -hmm. And so how does, how does Jesus answer that's uh, primarily, or first out of Deuteronomy there, and then in uh, an allusion to Leviticus, how does that diffuse the situation? For me... That's the, the one commandment that they recite every day, twice a day. Yeah. So as, the, as this scribe himself, this lawyer himself says to Jesus and Mark when he's finished, he says, you're right, this is the, you've spoken sure. of the one. 
Because this is the Shema. This is the, this is the Jewish confession of the oneness of God, yeah. of the godness of God. You know, hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. And then, you know, through the list. And so you shall love him with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. And Jesus says, this is the greatest commandment because every other commandment, including the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor, all of this flows from loving God, mm. truly loving God, yeah. which would be another question for these men. Sure. Well, yeah, and there is some irony in that because these Absolutely. men are not acting lovingly as, no. as we can see through the No, they're, they're, they're at this moment hating God. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Patrick? Um, I think our tendency as fallen people is to look for the path of least resistance and the bare minimum of what we need to do. Yeah. Um, and if you're of the mindset that it's your own works and obedience is that what's going to earn you favor with God and get you into heaven, then you're going to want to naturally gravitate toward okay, let's distill this list down so I know, I know exactly which boxes sure. I need to check. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, Jesus, just like with the rich young ruler um, a, f a few weeks ago, uh, you know, he said, what do I need to do? Yeah, what do I need to do? Uh, and he says, keep the commandments. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's, he's illustrating how it's impossible for this to happen. Uh, I think he treats it in a similar way his answer is a little different, but I think the, the treatment is similar. Um, what's the greatest commandment? What's the most important thing in the whole law? <laughs> you have to love God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. Yep. Yeah. That's an impossible commandment. Sure. So I think right there, you know, he, he's, he's twisting the argument back on them. Yeah. Every, one of these, uh, every, every one of these questions is them there's an assumption in the question and they're not expecting his answer right mm. and he's pointing out how they're they're coming at it from a completely wrong uh, sure. assumption which and is it, what astonishes the crowds mm -hmm. yeah and that kind of that i mean that stood out to me that not only does he not well, and i think there's an element where they're they're almost hoping that he'll say well moses was wrong i've got a new law for you or something like obviously he's not going that way um, but he doesn't say you know, it was wrong. He's just, everything was right. You just are misunderstanding it. And here's why. Like he says to the Sadducees, you yeah. misunderstand your scripture. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and that leads, so now they've tried to stump him three times and they've stumped themselves. And now he, he takes the opportunity to, to follow up with essentially one question divided into two parts. The first part they're able to answer. And the, the second part, um, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They're able to answer, and then and then the second part, you know, um, where the the Lord said to my Lord, uh, leaves them stumped. Um, is this a tie back to back in uh, twenty one uh, verse twenty five where where he asked them on what authority John the Baptist was teaching? There certainly is a, is a connection you could infer because his authority comes from God. Mm hmm. Um, so, I, I just like how he leaves that. it open for them to make that connection. Sure, like he just he just leaves it hang there, mm -hmm. uh, and because I think that's that's what he's doing. He asks them an obvious question; they don't hesitate at all. Yeah, they get who's, the answer. Whose son is the Messiah? It's the son of David. Yep. Yeah. Okay. 
So now, how do you explain this? And they yeah. literally can't say a word mm-hmm. because they have been trapped themselves. Yeah. yeah, and I don't think they know. They may just totally, I mean, I think, it's I like think a when they yeah. then a shoot will spring from the, from the seed of Jesse. Yeah. They're thinking physical yes. seed of David. Second mm-hmm. Samuel 7, physical seed of David. Jeremiah yeah. 23, physical seed of David. They're looking for a physical Messiah, like you said a while ago about the zealous. They're looking for someone to deliver them temporally. Yeah. They're not looking for someone to come and deliver them from their sins. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing you, I think you only said it in the, well, I can't remember if it was the first or second service today, but you, you, you tied it back kind of to the marriage feast. And then, and then as I was reading through this and, and preparing today, it is interesting that, uh, you know, the Pharisees and disciples, first he silences the Pharisees, disciples, and the Herodians. And then the second question, he silences the Sadducees. The third question, he silences the lawyer of the Pharisees, and then, and then he presents it to the group, and, and no one was able to offer him a word and answer. And this is immediately following the marriage feast, where the man without the clothes was speechless. Is, there, is, there, is he hammering home anything from there, or is it just a coincidence? I don't think it's a coincidence, but I think the, the hypocrite of, of the marriage feast being speechless, and I actually mentioned this. You as did, you yeah. Said. That's I what think I it was brought in the first service. Yeah, that... These men are, are like that man. They're standing there condemned, and they don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are absolutely speechless. The sad thing here is, is they go off now to secretly plot. They wanted to openly discredit Jesus. Sure. That's the reason for the questions. They want to openly discredit him, turn the crowds against him. Like Patrick mentioned a moment ago, if they can just get three-quarters of the crowd against him, sure. they've done their job. Yeah. But they can't. Mm-hmm. So now they've got. Or to, even just the Herodians. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the but, Romans but now they've got to go back. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah. that's a good point. Yeah. So now they've got to go back and find a way through subterfuge to destroy Jesus without winning the argument. Uh-huh. So they're going, they're going to do that. But then the other sad point is this is the last time that he appeals to them in a sense that. Don't you get it? Sure. And they say every time, we don't want to get it. Yep. Yeah. We don't want to get it. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, that is very sad. Mm-hmm. Very sad. Well, gentlemen, um, like always, our time is quickly coming to an end. What, uh, any other things that stood out to you or uh, closing thoughts as, as you went through this, something that stood out to you in a different way or ideas that we've missed as we took this whirlwind adventure through such a large section. <laughs> yeah, we did. Well, uh, like I said, how every single one of these questions that they pose to Jesus has a hidden assumption in it that's not spoken. Mm. Uh, and I was just thinking that a, a way of a practical application when we're looking at this passage as a whole, um, it's not like a, a doctrinal application, but yeah. a practical one is we live in an age where Anything you say yeah. can and will be held against you. Yeah. We see uh, and anything you say can be painted as racist or sexist or sure. offensive to some group. To the point where celebrities and public figures that were friends and are generally on the same side are now starting to eat each other. 
Sure. Because they're looking, they're looking for targets, right? And, and, And it doesn't matter what you say. It can offend somebody. And Jesus doesn't let any of these questions, he doesn't let his enemies frame the argument. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's only going to increase, I think, uh, Christians are going to come under more and more fire uh, and, and be confronted about their beliefs as being you know, homophobic or, or sure. whatever. Um, and you're going to be asked questions that are designed to trap you and no matter what you say, it will be the wrong answer. Sure. But Jesus sometimes just doesn't answer. Sure. Or he figures out where they're coming from, points out the hypocrisy, rather yeah. than walking into the trap and say, well, they've got me. I might as well just, yeah. you know, like, no, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't settle for that. And I think that's a good, yeah. good thing for us to keep in mind, that we don't need to let sure. our enemies frame the debate. We don't need to admit yeah to the things that they accuse Even us of. Even when you answer in perfect truth and love, they might still plot to kill you. Yeah. Kenny? I want, I want to connect with that. I, I'm, he said that, and I'm, I was sitting here thinking, there's another danger, too, that goes along with this. And that is for the church to mistake the idea of deliverance, like these zealots sure. and, and Pharisees, yeah. some kind of temporal deliverance political deliverance yeah. from what Jesus actually came to do. He came to pay for our sins. He came to set us free. Sure. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I think that not only must we be, and this is what we're covering on Wednesday nights, have an answer for the world when they ask us questions, Patrick, but I think we have to be very careful not to get drawn into the the philosophy of the world yeah. and the angles of the world and forget about the gospel because every time the church goes off into the social gospel the church in time mm. fails yeah great points so where are we where are we going next kenny we're going to first half of 23 i assume or yes and what happens now in chapter 23 so the the, the jewish leaders have rejected jesus and so now Jesus pronounces woes upon them. So the next chapter is really about the uh, exposing the Pharisees and pronouncing woes against them and the Jewish leadership. And I'm going to divide this up into two chapters. I'm sorry, into two sermons. This one chapter into two sermons. And uh, that'll be the next two weeks, God willing. Okay. Well, as always, it's been a pleasure and a privilege. And uh, look forward to it. I guess I'll be gone next week, but in, uh, in a couple weeks. And uh, I look forward to seeing you online then All right. as I'm uh, sitting in Texas. If you wouldn't mind uh, closing us with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these men who have uh, studied this week to bring deeper insight into your word as we went through the passage this morning in Matthew 22. I thank you for their time of study and their endeavors and for their insight that you give them through the Holy Spirit. I know that I'm blessed each week through listening to what they have to say. I pray that you would be with this church and uh, be with us spiritually and Lord may your truth be the most important thing to us in Jesus name. Amen.